the Spirit God opened up to us the window of your truth, the light of your love. As we read these words in this morning's text, help us find deep blessing in them. In Christ's name, amen. The genius of Paul's presence is manifold in many ways, but not the least of which is that in this letter in Ephesians, the salutation, the beginning, stands as a lighthouse pointing the way in safety between the rocky shore of scientific materialism and the devil's undertow of spiritual phantasm, conspiracy theories, superstition, and illusions. Listen now for the two things in this passage that Paul, I think, wants us to hear. The first is the level of gratitude that Paul feels for God including the Gentiles in with the Jews as God's chosen people. And the acknowledgement Paul makes of the profound depths of God's spiritual presence in the world, a spirituality that infuses everything on earth and everything in heaven. Hear now the word as it comes to us in Ephesians 1, 1 through 15. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings he is offering them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places three times. Blessed, blessing. Makaria is the word in Greek, and it means to sit in a seat of peace apart from all the weight and concerns of the world, to be blessed, that's what it means. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time 
to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, talking to the Gentile Christians, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption in God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. The word of the Lord. Uh, I am no chef. I'm not a cook either. By virtue of being married to one, I've learned a little bit. And what I've learned as much as anything is that I need to read the recipe from beginning to end carefully before I start making the dish. For in reading it from beginning to end, I then get a sense of the timing of things and the preparation of things as a, as a sort of unit of development, not just like piece by piece and, oh yeah, now I need salt, where's the salt, and now I need, but all gathered, ready to go together in unity. You know what's coming. You hope that you can get there. This morning, I ask you to listen to the recipe that Paul provides for us for this stew, no, souffle, the souffle of blessing and grace. Primarily, it is a souffle built on the ingredients of gratitude for God and gratitude for Christians. It's important to remember that Paul was a Jew. The main ingredient in his letter is grounded in Judaic understanding. He was born a Jew. He lived a Jew. He was trained a Jew. He died a Jew who believed that Christ was in fact the Messiah, but still a Jew. He was also a Roman citizen and aware of the Greek philosophical thoughts that invaded, that wove its way through all of the Roman Empire. The Aristotelian and Platonic and Socratic thoughts, the philosophical thought of Greece, he was aware of all the gods of Greece and the gods of Rome, different gods but kind of similar. He was aware of the whole culture. He, he was writing to a church in Ephesus, which was as cosmopolitan as it comes. It was a shipping port. Cleopatra and Mark Antony shipped into that port several times. The main god was the god Artemis. And in 
Paul's time or right before there had been the third iteration of a temple built to Artemis that was 450 feet long, one and a half football fields, 250 feet wide and 60 feet high. That's the primary spiritual presence in Ephesus. And then you have these scattered Christians that Paul had brought to faith when he had first visited in little house churches gathered together in 10 or 12 or 15 pockets of people carefully, really carefully protecting themselves from the persecution of the, of the Roman Empire and the Greeks and, and the Jews too. The Greeks emphasized a spiritual world over a material world, that the spiritual world was outside of the material, and the material world is corrupt. It's finite, and it's mortal, and, and humans do kind of nasty things come out of us. They didn't like the material world, so their whole sense of the purpose of life was to grow in wisdom and knowledge, to rise up out of being grounded into the world, into the seventh heaven. You've heard of the seventh heaven. That's the Greek thought that the highest level, I guess, was Saturn, if I remember correctly. You want to rise up step by step, which is exactly today what we call New Age spirituality. Don't connect to the world, get out of the world, and live more fully into the higher spirit world. Ironically, it was the loss of the material and the spiritual that did Ephesus in. The loss of it came when they decided to cut down for the purpose of agriculture and for fuel, most of the trees in the surrounding area without any sense that the mountains when rained upon would then cascade the silt down upon the bay and silt it in. But the spiritual loss of that was that they thought they could do it without any consequences. Jews knew differently than Greeks. Jews are grounded in Jewish scripture, and it's grounded in the world, in earthness. Paul emphasized that the material and the spiritual are intertwined. You cannot separate them. The, the, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Uh, the both andness of that for Paul is what makes it so powerful that there is no material without a spiritual presence, and there is no spiritual presence without somehow a material presence. It is not extra earth, it is in infused in earth. I'm not a pantheist, by the way, in case your, your heresy meters are, are running. I'm not a, I'm not a pantheist. I'm, I'm panentheist, which is to say that all of creation is not God, but that God is in all of creation. You with me? It's called panentheism. That the spiritual and the material both exist together as, as two realms, really, of, of the same transcendent presence of God. They, and you can't separate one from the other. It's hard to get that. It's a both-and-ness thing. 
But you can't separate body, mind, and spirit either, right? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And heart means the totality of our bodiness, the lifeblood, heart. And mind is not brain. We think it's brain. Mind is, brain is just the small part. Mind is the reality all around us that we sensually take hold of through our own embodiment. Our body, our body grows and learns and thinks and receives as well as our minds. And spirit, you see, is not that like fluttering around thing that we can't ever get our hands on. Spirit is the thing that gets its hands on us. And when it has its hands on us, we know it. For we are transported to a new realm of reality, firmly grounded in this world, not out of it. When Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he wrote it to the saints. To the saints. The Catholic Church says that All Saints Day is the day that we celebrate those named saints. By the way, this church is named for one, right? I assume it's named not for the town, but for the saint himself, as is the town, St. Simons. The Catholic Church says that those named saints we celebrate for their deep level of faith. Day after comes All Souls Day, that is, all those Christians who have lived and died who may not have yet made sainthood, and so they are in purgatory, making their way towards sainthood, but they're not yet saints. For Paul, however, and for Protestants, and I'm not saying the Catholics are wrong and we're right, I'm just saying, for Paul, he understood the saints as all of those believers, regardless of your, of your Christian fortitude or level of saintliness. To the saints, he writes, who were being persecuted all over the place. They're goyim, they're, they're Gentile, they're not circumcised, they're not in for the Jew, they're not in for the Greek, they're not in for the Roman they're just lost. It's to those he writes. He's moved deeply by their devotion, their faith, and their sense of compassion. And he offers them blessings, bestows on them blessings. And what he says at the end of all this is just simply the most moving thing that we can say about anything or anybody, he says, thank you. He's full of gratitude. Gratitude. Just the word itself should, should help us catch the spirit of that. Have you ever caught the spirit of gratitude? I mean, you're so overcome with a sense of, of thanks, of, of, of humility, of thankfulness, of... Uh, or, or someone has expressed that to you, you don't know what to do with it. It's, it's a spirit grounded in, in life's lifeness. Standing before God and what God has done in Jesus Christ, Paul writes to these new Christians filled with awe and gratitude. And he calls them saints. 
I do not cease to give thanks to you as I remember you in my prayers. Oh, how our world would be if we understood this. We are dying of thirst in a monsoon. We seek the spiritual and are left thirsty. We seek the spiritual in the material, thinking that that material will provide the spiritual, but we're seeking it in in ways that are not insightful, comprehending. We're seeking it as if the material will be for us the spiritual, not that the material somehow is infused with the spiritual, and through the material we can find what we seek. We have forgotten this, and it began 700 years ago when Francis Bacon and Isaac Newton and Rene Descartes ignited the Enlightenment. Celtic people get the spiritual in the material. Poets, painters, writers, conservationists, most religions. But when the Enlightenment was born, we drove all the spirits out of the world, or tried to, only to find that it was more spirits that came back in, sometimes dark ones. We tried to exercise spirit from the European and later American culture as we became scientifically enlightened. And with that enlightenment, everything we thought to be real changed. Either it can be materially observed, empirically studied, and the data put forth with a hypothesis, or it does not exist. It all works like a clock, and God was a great clockmaker, and, and, and we work like clocks, and we're like machines too. In fact, evolution is nothing but a process of the machine becoming more and more technologically advanced. We're just machines in the ultimate enlightened worldview. This may be why physicians, all the physicians, all the physicians I know are on the edge of burnout because they live in a culture that teaches them about technology and tests but does not teach them about the spirit of what it means to be a clinician. Someone who sits down beside a patient and puts his hand on them and feels their pulse and in their skin and in their eyes can begin the process of diagnosis from one human being to the next. You sense the spirituality of that versus sitting across the room against a counter with a chart in front of you, leaning back saying, you now have some 14 word Latin phrase uh, illness and I'm gonna send you down for an MRI. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. And, and when the pastor's in there, they look at you and say, what did he say? Like, we're supposed to know. That's the, that's, the, that's the enlightened worldview that has now taken over and exercised the true depth of God's spirit. And we're starving. We're, we're, we're thirsty 
for something more. Today's Reformation Sunday, by the way, we've thrown in a lot of things into this basket, and uh, we can do that. We're Presbyterians. And, and being Reformation Sunday, we have to take for granted the fact that the Reformation was formed outside of the Enlightenment, but inside the very experience of it. For without the Enlightenment, we wouldn't have had a printing press, and we wouldn't have had books, and we wouldn't have had access to education for the people in the pews to now be able to read for themselves what the text says, and not to only look for the priest to, to tell them. And so as we began the power that the Enlightenment brought us through publication, the Reformation was born. Protestantism was born. Now we have that power for ourselves. There's a great gift that comes out of the Enlightenment. A million things. But the dark side is that, as in Protestantism, once we decide that we're the decider of the truth because I can read the Bible for myself and the decider of the truth because this is what I believe or want to believe, then we decide that I am true and no one else is. Therefore, everyone else is wrong. That's why we have over 4,000 denominations in the Protestant church today, growing more every day. We've lost the spirit of God's intention for unity. We celebrate All Hallows Day with Halloween and All Saints and Souls Day, but you know, it doesn't feed our deepest spiritual needs. It still doesn't. Certainly Halloween doesn't. But as we go through the liturgy, we kind of do it and we read the names and we, we, we have silence and we try to take in the gravitas of that person that we loved or knew or didn't know, but know someone did, and the, and the grief that goes with their loss. And we say, where are they? Where did they go? There is a vacuum left when a loved one dies. Nothing fills it. It was it's a, a whole energy swarm has been sucked up by life itself. Where did it go? And Paul says, it, it, it went to God. Well, where is God? God, where is not God? Where is not God? I have this sense that we're surrounded by the communion of the saints and they are close. Golly, it's a scary thought that my mother might be able to look in on my life as I do it from time to time. You know, I'm not sure I want her to be that close. I love my mother. Well, you know what I mean. The saints are watching us. They're breaking through this thin veil that we call reality. We're all connected in ways we're not even aware. That's what Paul understood here. I went to the Georgia-Florida football game yesterday, by the way, thanks to a really nice member in this church who, who had great tickets and a parking pass. I mean, who can say no to that? Nita and I have never been to a Georgia-Florida football game and 15 years in Jacksonville, and, and we were looking forward to an experience. And what I found there was a complete surprise. I expected there to be malice and name-calling and ugliness, and, and, and there was a little of that, but it was way more a sense of hospitality. I mean, we, we were in a tailgate, and there were Georgia fans and Florida fans all eating together in the same place. While they were cheering against the other team, my sense was it wasn't we wanted the other team to die. <laughs> Unlike politics, by the way. 
And I experienced there lots of spirits, lots. Demon rum was not the least of them. <laughs> but I also experienced a spirit of good competition, of practice and discipline, of what it means to be caught up in something greater than you are, a transcendent something as you watched and participated in the team's work and play. If, if we were able to see all that happens in life as having its own good spirit to us, don't you think we would be more grateful for everything that happens is somehow infused with the spirit of God? May God go with us. I stood on the I stood on the stage with a friend I'd met on a trip to Ephesus one time, 10 years ago. He was a, a teacher at a conservative Christian school in Jacksonville, and we were invited by a moderate Muslim group. Uh, we were Christians and Jews and Muslims all traveling together, and this man's name was Van, and immediately we were at cross purposes he saw me as one of those moderate mainline, he would use the word liberals, who begins to parse through the Bible and look at it as an academic. That's why I went to seminary, he said. And I called him or accused him of being just another one of those evangelical literalists who never looked below the surface of the text and who didn't put anything into context. We didn't say this out loud, but that's how we felt. And we're sort of needling each other the whole way, but there was some tension there. And on the way to Ephesus, we were invited to get up in the bus and talk about Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and what Paul did, and they prepared us for all that we would find there, the ruins. And at one point, we got into the 2,000 seat or 20. 500 seat, no, 20,000 seat amphitheater. And we're all standing up in the, up in the stone steps and, and Van and I look at each other and it was an instantaneous spiritual unity moment. We both nodded and agreed, let's go down to the stage and sing a song together. And as the group sat in the steps, he and I walked down into the stage of this, what? could be 3,000-year-old ruins of an amphitheater, and sang, to sang together Amazing Grace, me in my terrible voice, Van in his wonderful disciplined voice, stood side by side. And I got to tell you, that's what spirituality is all about. Steve and Van coming together by the power of a transcending love of God that outweighs all the other stuff that separates us. You get that? It's gratitude. Got it?